Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Spiral from the Book of Saw and I'm happy to be joined by my friend Graham Hall to talk about this one. Graham, are you ready to play a game? Are you ready to play a game? I'd like <laughs> to play a game. I love doing the voice. I do it all the time. I've done it probably for the last 15 years, I think I could say. It's, it's an iconic voice in my mind and... I, that was one of my first, but one of my first complaints of the new spiral was the voice. I, but not to get ahead of it, always a good pleasure to be here and to talk all horror movies, any type of movies, whatever it is with you, Josh. Yeah, so Spiral, same. I'm glad you're here. Spiral is the uh, newest entry to, into the Saw franchise after a revival for four years without these movies. There was Jigsaw in 2017, but there was like, what, I think seven Saw movies before that, Graham? And, I think so. It's yeah. hard to keep track. Yeah, and uh, this one just happened to be kind of be re- revived. It, what it, from what I now know is like a pretty well-known story where Chris Rock just happened to sit next to a Lionsgate executive at a fancy rich person wedding in Brazil and said, I really like Saw and I might have an idea for a, a Saw movie. So uh, he became involved in uh, this newest Saw movie which in which he stars as a detective named Ezekiel Banks. Uh, who gets brought into this case after another detective on the police force? In what I guess is uh, these, they go th- like well, well, out of, well out of the way not to identify the city. I guess these movies take place in. At one point, they show the Philadelphia skyline. At another point, it's a different one, though it still kind of feels like Los Angeles at times. Uh, but whatever, a detective on the Metropolitan Police Force is chasing a thief down at the beginning of this movie. Tra- chases him down a sewer drainage pipe. Uh, he's attacked by a figure wearing a pig mask, and then he uh, wakes up and finds himself suspended on a subway tunnel by his tongue the uh jigsaw uh copycat killer tells him that you've lied too many times as a cop on the witness stand now you're not going to be able to do that anymore if you want to survive because if you're going to survive you're going to trigger this device that cuts your tongue out and then you won't get hit by the subway uh as what happens it seems like in most of the tricks in these movies uh he decides he'll do it but it's too late he gets killed and uh zeke gets paired with a new detective on the police force uh who whose name is William Shank, and they get assigned to this murder, and it turns out this uh, new murderer who seems inspired by the Jigsaw killings, these movies take place in the same universe as the Jigsaw, other Jigsaw movies, and they decide there's probably some connection here, except this time the killer is hunting down cops. Uh, Dirty cops, that is. And uh, we should add that Zeke is kind of a little reviled within his police department because he turned in a dirty cop for murdering a witness about 10 years ago. Graham, I... I'm curious because when you reached out about this, you told me you're actually a pretty big fan of the Saw movies. I had never watched one as of a week ago, and I went back and I watched the first Saw, and I know that one's pretty well respected, and I, and I just didn't have time. There's so many of them. It was kind of intimidating, and I think you know part of the reason that I never watched one is that I think I just kind of – just by the name of it and maybe the trailers, I always assumed it was kind of like – one of the kind of horror movies that's not my kind, like more of a jump scare one, as opposed to being kind of like the psychological thriller that it is. So I was pleased to see that when I watched Saw. But the fact is, I know just hearing people talk about these movies over the last week, like the, the opinions vary wildly on them. So I, it's there's so many of these movies that I think it allows me to ask the question. Uh, first of all, what in your opinion makes a good Saw movie? It's a really good question. Well, I think you have to have several elements. You know, I disagree with the notion that every trap is unwinnable. I I think that one of the defining aspects of the first few Saw ones is that you really felt like, oh, they could get out of this situation. Um, And I never really felt that with a lot of these traps in this one. It did really kind of feel more that were meant to be tortured. 
uh, to death rather than have a real test. Many right. of the traps in the initial Saw movies are really symbolic. So I really think he had to have a trap that was going to maim, mutilate the, whatever you want to call him, victim, the, the person in the trap. But I never really got that with this. So that was, I think, a key thing that was missed. But you need to have a, a, a trap that teaches a lesson. It's not necessarily designed to kill. Um, you also need to have, I think, all of the people who were involved in the trap be tied together through one spider web and saw two. That's what, you know, when you talk about varying opinions, I think most people say that that's their favorite because of that reason is how complex and interwoven and making you guess the plot is of the victim. So you actually really, really care about the people going through the traps because you're finding out things about their story. So I think it has to have a good story where when you talk about horror movies, that's usually one of the things people seem to usually care about the least is, is the story. And and I always kind of scoff at that because I think that's one of the things that makes Saw so good in, in the original ones. Um, yeah, and we're, the third one is yeah, you yeah, need, yeah. I think, pseudo-villains. In the, th- in the third one, I think, is you need pseudo-villains to throw you off the scent, make you wonder who really it could be at, at, at any time who keep you guessing who could be behind all this. And as the plot expands, your mind changes about who it could be. And I think this, this movie captured that of all the elements that I think is important. It captured this one, the most, the third one, the the factor that you need to really make people wonder the entire time who could be behind it. Um, Because the mystery element is part of why, people put up with the amounts of insane gore and and what have you that they go through to to get to the ultimate payoff and um the saw series i think was so good because there were some of those where you really didn't get all the final pieces of the puzzle to use a cliche until the final few minutes which one thing you picked up on is that you know again and i haven't seen a lot of these movies but i think that they did do a good job of like you know, telling a linear story and not that it's bad that I understand some of the other movies are maybe not told in that same manner, but, or, or have, or have a point of entry character like Zeke, who you spend that much time with and get to know that well. It sounds like Saul 2 might've done a good job of at least getting you invested in these people, but I'm guessing this, it it probably felt unique, Graham, compared to the other movies to follow someone like Chris Rock, Chris Rock, Zeke, and really kind of get an idea of like what his life was like and how a lot of the other people in his life feel about him and just how he might kind of just see the world. Is is that a fair assessment of oh, a different approach that this one might have taken? I do think that the character introspection element, it really made you care more about the main character. And obviously having a guy like Chris Rock being the lead vehicle for a movie like this, you, you obviously are going to know more about the lead character behind it than any of the other Saw movies because this one is about telling you straight up um, and, and also leaving some things out, but really telling you straight up about why you should care about this character from the jump and really get to know them. And with Chris Rock, I think as the lead character, you're already kind of having a sentimental view as the viewer that, hey, you're kind of supposed to root for this guy. And that kind of, I thought that they really kind of tricked you with some things in how you were going to approach the character that I didn't see coming with how much they gave if that makes sense, with how much character knowledge they gave you about his partner and what he had gone through. I kind of thought that they were leading me in a different direction. Um, and I thought that that was pretty good there. The character development of Chris Rock's 
character. Zeke, the characters, uh, his father, I, I thought could have been done a little bit better. Um, played by Samuel L. Jackson. In terms of, yeah, played by Samuel L. Jackson. His motivations and uh, what led to um, him leaving the police force and, and everything behind it, the dynamics. I think that they they made a good effort, but I think it could have been better. Um, but the character development, there was definitely an e- emphasis on that and an emphasis on the investigation aspects. I think that many times the, the Saw movies have attempted to really make you care about the investigation, but often it comes off as just you don't care about the cops investigating it because they're always one step behind. That's an, another element of the Saw movies. The cops are always one step up behind of catching them, except for, I guess, in really the Saw movie when they had a legitimate chance, as, as you saw, Josh. Mm-hmm. This is that's an element of the song movie. So I thought that making him a cop and making you attempt to care about the cops again was a bold endeavor based on how they had painted cops over the previous, what, seven movies. But I think they did a pretty good job of it. Well, so for the uninitiated or people that have only seen like the first one, like me, when you say the way they painted the cops, the last seven movies, you just mean how you made the comment. They're usually behind or they usually just like a little inept, not as, you know, uh, uh, not as proficient as they could be. A few seconds too late, slow yeah. to get there, um, slow to act. I mean, you saw the first one, Danny Glover and his partner, you know, they get a huge tip about where he could be by looking at the photo, and they don't call in back. And they, they go try and go in alone when it's only four blocks away. I mean, stuff like that. There are continuous police blunders, investigation blunders throughout the series. I mean, not to spoil too much of it but for you, but if you watch – some of the later movies when you, I mean, when you get to meet Detective Hoffman played by, it escapes me. I want to say it's, it's one of the Wahlbergs, but I know that doesn't sound right. Um, when you meet Detective Hoffman, there is, you know, a policeman who is behind it all in a sense. So I think that going the police route was, was bold, but it also, some people could say was a retread. We've watched these from the police investigation, the other side and, angles so off but how else do you do a saw movie than short from the angle of the people trying to catch him um but i did i did think that that was an interesting um you know they there's a lot of previous retread ground there and they attempted to do it better and i think that they did a pretty good job well yeah like you said they center the cops and uh, I mean, I guess it, what, what, specifically in how it's bold in that regard is that, I mean, it it takes aim at the police force and shows most of them as being crooked and not good. And that feels like a very, I mean, they made this movie like in summer 2019. So uh, it's kind of fortuitous timing that, you know, it got delayed because it released got delayed because of COVID and stuff like that. And now it's coming out at this moment where, you know, we're thinking about police in a, I'd say a different way than we were at the time the first Saw movie came out probably. And uh, so I, it seems like they're definitely going for something there. And I mean, making you maybe confront the idea with what kind of consequences crooked cops should face, uh, which I kind of respect them doing. I'm not, I don't know if they were trying to go for any other message there. I don't want to say it falls flat, but I'm like, by even making the choice to go where they go with the police in this movie, I think that says something in and of itself. I'm just wondering if, I'm wondering if they wanted me to take even more from that, you know, and you mentioned the Samuel L. Jackson character and, uh, you know, I think they kind of hide the ball a little bit, 
they don't even really ever tell you why he's not with the police officer, not with the police force anymore. We we learn a little bit more about how he handled his time as the police chief, but uh, yeah, that that could have been maybe explored a little more to lend even a little more context to how this movie felt about the police. But I, it did feel like it was maybe trying to be, I don't know, socially conscious in a way. At least the first saw wasn't. Not that the first saw isn't is a shallow movie or anything. It has more to do with, I guess, John Kramer wanting these people to you know appreciate life and is putting them through something. I mean, because of what he's going through himself but uh i don't i, I don't know what, what did, did it seem like the did it seem like the movie had a little more to say to you than maybe some of the others did because of how it took aim at the police i think it attempted to absolutely i think that it attempted to have a socially conscious as you said message um about what we're dealing with as a country right now and and when it was even made you know several years ago i think that things were even a little bit less intense than they are right now but you know, kudos for them to them for attempting it. It could have gone a little bit even, you know, farther in the commentary direction. I mean, you have Samuel Jackson, uh, you know, a black man who was the chief of police prior. And, uh, I mean, it, it really delved in racial I, I don't even really know the scene that the movie takes place. And I'm sure they tell you, but I forget right away. And, no, they don't tell you the story. That's the thing I mentioned earlier. It's like it's the Metropolitan Police Department. They they they, yeah. they actually show the Philadelphia skyline. Like I recognize it right away, obviously. But there's <laughs> but then they show a different city skyline at a different point. And it filmed in, it filmed in Canada, but there's a subway, so that almost looks more like New York subway. So I think it's intentionally ambiguous on that front. So they don't want to. I mean, if you want to pick a place, you know, like Chicago or Baltimore, if you want to go in on those dynamics people could easily fact check you and look i mean they they could have gone all in and attempt to really make this thorough commentary on the area and the, you know they only they picked and choose how far they wanted to go in terms of character development and that's every filmmaker's choice i'm i'm pretty aware of that whatsoever but i don't think it necessarily had a stronger message than some of the previous traps throughout the Saw movies. I mean, even dating back to the character of Amanda, which, you know, Josh, I know you only really saw her in one movie, but oh, so she, 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 she popped, she popped, I didn't know she popped up in subsequent movies. Okay. So Amanda for, I guess we'll have a little Saw recap real quick <laughs> here. Amanda becomes the apprentice in Saw 2. She wakes up in Saw 2 in the house with, that the gas is slowly killing everyone and they have to work together to find the antidotes. But she is on the inside. She develops Stockholm syndrome, I guess would be how you could say it. And she helps John Kramer continue to carry out his master plan. And then she does what he kind of did. She embedded herself inside the game. Like he did in the first one on the floor. And she continues to help him throughout saw three and it's a series that I think that those that those first couple movies, how it commentates on Stockholm syndrome, each test I did believe was more winnable from going back and watching it. Um, you you do have more people get out, and the continuous storyline I, I think made the earlier movies even better. You know, I, I thought that, that that those movies did a better job um, of sending a message in the moment, but. The way that the Times perceived horror movies, I think that most people scoffed at that and shook it off or any attempt to 
make you care for the victims in these games. But I thought that those moments were more executed, better well executed than most of these traps. I mean, most of the ones I thought in this news movie in Spiral just didn't seem, like I said, very winnable um, to me. Interesting. Yeah, no, I mean, like, especially there's one where, um, well, actually, well, I'll, I'll wait in a minute to talk about that because I'm, I'm interested to hear you speak more about that. But I think I can ask you one more question. We'll move into spoiler territory. Uh, I, what, what did you, first of all, what did you think of Chris Rock? Because, I mean, I think a lot of people were intrigued when they saw this. He's, uh, you know, he just came off of doing Fargo season four. So it wasn't like it was uh, where the idea of him doing something that wasn't comedy wasn't like super foreign or anything like that. But still, him uh, inserting himself into a horror franchise, you know, did did you buy it? Did did you uh, appreciate what he brought to it? Like, uh, was it a good mix of just humor but still playing the serious, uh, suspenseful notes well for you? I'm coming around more to Chris Rock mm-hmm. as a serious actor. I think that he continues to improve in that regard, absolutely. I don't think he... I mean, he's not, I've never said this as a compliment to anyone, he's not Adam Sandler yet in how I can see him go from funny to serious. I mean, he hasn't had his punch-drunk love moment. I mean, that was in 2002 for Sandler. We forget that that was, you know, early, early on. I mean, most people say, oh, yeah, he did Uncut Gems and stuff like that. He's done serious movies way before. I'm still waiting for the serious role for Chris Rock that's going to make me say, oh, man, this guy has depth as an actor. And I think it's, he's coming. I think it's, I think it's coming. Absolutely. I haven't, I never finished Fargo. So maybe I missed something there. It was, it, 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 it was, it wasn't great, but I mean, I, I you can tell he, he's a curious bar for that show. Yeah. That's, and he's improving in that regard. I still just sometimes when I watch him act and I see him smile, I, I see, Oh, that's Chris rock. And I forget that he's playing a role. And I don't know. I mean, that's probably me a lot, but I don't know when I'm going to get past that. He's closer to a Will Ferrell for me than he is an Adam Sandler when it comes to serious roles where he works in serious roles and I think he does a good job, but I still, uh, I'm, I'm unsure if he'll ever be in a role that makes me be like, wow, that's tremendous. Yeah. So what about in Spiral specifically? Were there parts of it that you thought he was more effective in than others? I did. I, I thought that in the beginning, I mean, any time that he's cracking a joke, I am reminded of how great Chris Rock is. And there have been some articles that have come out recently about how much they had to leave on the cutting floor. Uh, he just didn't work in the end is a bigger problem than we, we realize. I mean, Chris Rock is attempting to add movies that is one of the funniest actors and he's tackling because maybe he's tackling it because he's trying to prove himself, but he's tackling one of the few series out there that takes itself too seriously. I mean, how many horror movies out there make jokes or make a situation? The Saw movies have never really had much comic relief. I mean, they take themselves incredibly too seriously. So Chris Rock going into that is an attempt to prove it in my mind that he's a serious actor. So it may have just been too high of a hill for him to conquer right now. But I did think that there were some scenes, especially early on when they are, when he's undercover um, and the great young nudie song is playing and they're going to rob the bank. I thought that he was good in that scene. I thought that he was good towards the end 
with Samuel Jackson. I thought that him and Samuel Jackson had really good chemistry. I didn't really. Do you watch Handmaid's Tale? I only watched like part of the first season. So I guess we're going to move into spoiler territory real quick here. I guess I got to give the warning for you. Sure. Uh, um, before, before I say okay, this. okay. Before you do, uh, it sounds like you're. It sounds like you're a little mixed on actually some of the more traditional saw elements as far as the the, the traps and the games and itself. But you kind of like the story on the whole, though. Is that fair? And that you'd still recommend it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I I still think it's a good movie. I I still think it's a good movie. What's I mean, the bar was high in my mind for the previous saw movies. I know that some of the later ones, six and seven when they get into some, some weird stuff. I mean, I compare the series often in terms of its peaks and valleys to Dexter, the TV show. Hmm. And look at that right now. That's getting a, another attempt at salvaging its reputation after a strong four seasons, four movies in the Saw case. I think that this is a really good continuation of what made Saw good and I would recommend it. And it's great to see Chris Rock and Samuel Jackson add something new to the series. Yeah, no, I, I'd agree. And as far as Chris Rock's performance, for those curious who are going to tune out when we start talking spoilers, I, I, I think I'm in agreement with Graham in that, like, yeah, he's funny whenever he's getting to crack jokes. And there's some moments towards the end where I do think it kind of – I do buy him in some of the more – tense moments and in, in, involving Samuel L. Jackson, but there are also moments where it's like, it's hard to forget you're watching Chris Rock, especially when it's like, you're trying to convince you he's like a grizzled cop. I'm just, I don't know if I can quite get there with him on that. And, um, maybe he will get to that point with him in serious roles. I'm a huge Adam Sandler fan, um, with respect to when he does decides to like do serious stuff these days. I mean, most of his comedies are just a, a, a cut below the, his drama these days. And I, and it'd be cool if Chris Rock does get to that point at some point in the next few years where you're just as excited to see him do that stuff. It was probably just a little, a little more of a mixed bag for me in this movie. And I, I've heard other critics that just thought he was actively bad. I would not say that. I just think it's, it, you know, your mileage is going to vary when you're so used to seeing someone in one way. And then they're just like doing something totally different and that they're maybe not as used to, but I respect him for going out of his comfort zone. Okay. So spoiler territory, uh, yeah, you're you're you, you kind of cut yourself off there, but I wanted to kind of give people a chance to tune out and get, give our final here our final recommendations. I know you're kind of talking about it in terms of maybe um, some of the actions that uh, Zeke takes towards the end. Did you have a, a specific thought you're going there that was spoilerly with respect to Chris Rock's uh, Zeke? Yeah, the chemistry with his partner throughout the entire movie. And the reason I stopped myself after Handmaid's Tale. What is his name? Max Minghella. The actor Max Miguel. Yeah. yeah. Um, I forget. I forget. I mean, I think he's a he's a really good actor. Mm-hmm. He's in Handmaid's Tale as Nick. He's in Social who, Network. Yeah, he's in Social Network. Um, he's in Handmaid's Tale right now, currently as one of the the guys, Nick on the inside, attempting to help June get out. So I think he's a good character. But I never bought the chemistry once. I never. The, tension or they're trying to make you feel with the whole the off the one-off lines that max says in the car about that make you want to think oh he gave you some hints all along that it could that it could have been him running this game i never really felt like they got you i i thought it was kind of cheap i, I thought he was a well did, well, well did you see it coming or are you saying that they didn't do enough job of laying the groundwork for that I, I think they didn't do a good enough job 
necessarily laying the groundwork. And, and you know, maybe you could say that I missed it. I, I think that the whole setup with his father and the whole motif throughout the movie of the dirty cops paying and everything coming back around retribution, you know, that was a good tie in at all, but I didn't buy Max as this vindictive evil psychopath capable of doing that, integrating the police force as a rookie and then pulling this game off within his first what week or two on the job, whenever it was, Uh, you know, I just didn't, that was hard for me to buy necessarily. And I guess, you know, we're sitting here talking about saw movies taking themselves too seriously. Mm. How do you buy any of the stuff ultimately? But you need, in my opinion, to have some chemistry between protagonist and antagonist. And I, I never really thought that I just didn't think Max was a good choice to play opposite of Chris Rock, even though I think that he's a good actor. So you I mean you wanted it to, you wanted them to like kind of, if, if the partner of, if, if Zeke's partner was going to be the bad guy, you would have liked that to have been a performance where he was vibing. They were vibing more together and he was almost putting on a better performance within the movie. That character was putting on a better yeah, performance. I needed, I needed more of a, I needed more of a psychopath um, vibe. I needed someone who's tricking you, you know, fooling you. And he just, Max plays just a very low key type role to me. Cool, suave, not much. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Emotion. Well, so you mentioned him being able to like pull off all that stuff, and I feel like at least what I gathered after watching the first Saw movie is that there is, to a certain extent, you're supposed to just have to suspend disbelief with this stuff, like that whoever the whoever the uh, whether it be uh, the Jigsaw killer himself, or I know it's kind of someone different in some of the later movies, but like you just got to accept the fact that they're going to be really adept at creating some complex things and have unlimited access to like large warehouse spaces and stuff like that. Uh, and I know you like these movies, so uh, what specifically? Uh, logistically kind of bothered you about him being able to pull off his plan because i kind of just took it as a given you just got to accept that these guys are going to be able to do this and maybe your mileage may vary with how creative and interesting you find these games no that's a good question and i guess i'm being a little bit picky here in a sense because i think that it makes you want to pick and choose certain elements as in you'll suspend disbelief about a lot of the logistics of how they could have pulled this off in certain places, known this was going to happen, prepared for everything. But then you want some believable, the motivations of, of at least them doing it, why they could go to all these lengths to do this, 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 this. That's the stuff where I, I kind of want it to be airtight, foolproof. When I, I, I'm watching the movie, I, I, I kind of, like I said, in the beginning, you know, montages at the end and we go back and say oh man I, yeah i missed that I, that's the stuff i really kind of care about um when it comes to the reveal at the end and, and keeping you guessing and i just didn't think that i, I guess i i should have seen it coming more in <laughs> a sense with him being you know because him being a big name for you know why is you know max mangella you know in yeah. this movie yeah um Unless if, if he's playing just, you know, this rookie cop, I mean, he's made it bigger than this now. You know? So I guess in that alone, you're kind of, I guess I could suspect it, but I, I just didn't think it did a good enough job at um, making me, 
I guess. Yeah, it's kind, it's, it's kind of like how like when a when a you know whether it be like a bigger guest star on Scar and Law and Order, or just on any kind of TV show, I guess, where there's a bigger name guest star, you just you kind of know they're going to have a bigger role. I forgot it was Max Minghella for a minute for for the time I was watching the movie though, so maybe it caught me off guard more so than most people. And sometimes I can see a twist coming, and maybe it's also because I don't know the rhythms of Saw movies as well. Though it does, it sounds like it, it wasn't exactly something that you guessed like the first time he was on screen or something like that though i will say it's a little odd how people talked about looking up to marcus Banks, samuel L. jackson's character like he was just like some incredible guy and now we do learn that they, there was some kind of police legislation passed where they were allowed to do whatever they want and that was a point of contention at some point so maybe a lot of the cops looked up to and him i gotta i gotta say this part of part of how we both are looking at the movie differently is through two different lenses i'm basing i think a lot of how I feel about the movie off of watching past movies. And, and I think you have the benefit of going in fresh yeah. and not, not having to compare it time to all the prior ones, if right. that makes sense. Yeah. And um, here's how I view the, you know, the reason I keep referencing saw one, two and three is because I think what they did not, not to, for this to be any revisionist history, but in retrospect, I think it's more impressive than many people realize saw one was wildly successful you know, they demand a sequel in a sense. And, you know, cause it's this huge moneymaker on a small budget and they managed to bring back someone from the prior movie and make it incredibly believable about how they could be in and also play off elements of the first movie so that you care about the antagonist, the orchestrator for subsequent movies down the line. And then you also appreciate, the first movie more if spiral two builds on the lore that this one established where more things were consequential than they appeared i think that i will appreciate it more but that's something that i think the prior saw movies did really well is they made the previous ones better um with how they continued the characters and so i'm gonna my opinion can change about this when absolutely, but I think that Saw 1, 2, and 3 just set such a high bar for a lot of fans of the series that, in my mind, it was incredibly, it would be nearly impossible for huge fans of the initial ones to have been massively impressed with this one, in my mind. Yeah, and I cut you off earlier when you were talking about maybe comparing some of the um, uh, some of the traps in the original ones to this one and how... You know, you thought the choices might have been a little made a little more sense in maybe some of those earlier ones. I think the aim of the villain in this one is somewhat different in that he's more, you know, trying to send an overall message about a specific institution like the police as opposed to just putting two specific people in a in like maybe a more personal uh, setup. But also, I think the fact that you were saying, uh, I, I and I didn't realize that maybe that was a criticism of maybe some of the other prior Saw movies that some of these traps didn't even really have a possible like outcome where you came out unscathed it was just too hard and I, I can't speak to those but what i can say is like it's maybe not as compelling to watch when someone's options are getting drowned by hot wax or severing their spinal cord and having to live with a severed spinal cord it's like yeah i mean that doesn't even seem like death is that much worse than that right so um i guess maybe what you're what you were speaking to is that yeah. uh it's more compelling when like you know one option is getting off relatively scot-free but you have to kind of do something awful and able to do that to be able to do that and that wasn't really what you had here even in the one where he's kind of like sa- saving the life of the cop that uh he's like saving the life i guess here he's like saving the life of the cop that uh that he turned in a while ago and maybe it's not like the alternative is neither one is maybe that bad like saving someone's life or just like walking away i mean it's not 
I don't know, maybe it wasn't that dire of a choice for Zeke, and there was a good uh, there was a good option in that one, but it uh, neither like it didn't seem that bad. Like he got Zeke got stabbed a few times, and that was about it. Whereas like I don't know, it was it was very squeamish watching like Saw one, and you know like having to watch like couple of the options or even I guess the tongue thing I suppose you're at least you're walking away on four limbs on that I guess I guess that's a long way of asking you like maybe the calculus on some of these choices just wasn't as compelling as it could have been I didn't think so you know I, I know that going back when you watch some of the I mean I even watched some of the director features on the previous ones I know I have the DVDs and they you know they spent a lot of time focused on drawing up traps and and figuring out uh, unique devices for the pre- previous ones i mean i know that that was part of how they started storyboarding the appeal for a lot of the previous ones was thinking up you know original torture devices and as sadistic as that sounds that's a huge part of the movie and while i did think that this one had some good ones i mean the glass blowing the glass in the fan was wild um i mean that's nuts i don't know how you survived that one like you mentioned uh the spinal cord one yeah like what do you do? I mean, what do you do in that one? What kind of life is that? What kind of choice? Yeah. That? I mean, Jigsaw one make people come out appreciating life more. Um, and I mean, you remember from, from Amanda, that was, you know, he was attempting to, you know, while he was attempting to make her, her, his, you know, um, apprentice and helper crimes i mean he was attempting to help her recover from her drug addiction and appreciate her life more and i mean that's a different type of message i think um one that more people can sympathize with than oh these are sadistic cops let's send them a lesson because uh, you know ultimately I, i think that like i said earlier the movie didn't make you care too much about the social demographics the the racial divide of whatever city it was because the city was nameless so I, I didn't think that that made me care too much about his mission because I didn't really know too much out of aside from those flashbacks. Uh, yeah, yeah. I guess it. I guess that that is a good point. Like, I mean, I guess especially when your mileage can vary, if they drop the hints right at the same time, like when you kind of like when you kind of cram in all of his motivations at the end, and you, and you just don't really know what the guy's going for. Maybe it's harder to just you know be compelled by the mission, especially if you just don't find each of these individual scenarios, you know, as harrowing and as squeamish and as uh, dire as maybe some of the predecessor movies do. And again, all that being said, I think they're all fair points you're making. I, I, I and, you know, you said you enjoyed the movie too. I just want to make it clear, like, I did, I, I, I did enjoy the whole experience, though, you know, and not that I, you know, it's weird talking about a movie like that's a stomach turn churning is something like Saw because I don't know if I love feeling that way, but like the movie is provoking that movie is like provoking more of a stronger reaction in those moments than Spiral did. Though, I mean, again, some of the stuff in Spiral pretty gnarly. It's just like maybe I'm not as torn up inside because I mean, just cutting off someone's cutting off the leg to try and you know uh, achieve like achieve an, to to achieve a goal. I think that's just that's just gonna do it to you more. You know, it was funny. There was the fake out too about, and not that I needed them to actually like legitimately have a saw involved, but that's fake out where the like it looks like Zeke might have to use a saw, but then he finds a bobby pin. That that was actually kind of funny. Uh, but I, I I wasn't necessarily hoping it would go there, but I maybe wanted maybe I came in expecting one or two moments that made me feel the way something like that made me feel while I was watching Saw. Not to give you a spoiler or anything, but 
in and I don't know how you can really spoil a movie that came out 15 years ago, but <laughs> in, I want to I want to say it was in Saw three. In Saw three, someone ends up back in that same bathroom from Saw one, hmm. attached to the pipe, and it's in the dark. And I want to say this was when uncut and unrated movies were coming out on on you know on DVD with a few extra features to sell some money. And this person dislocates their foot to get it through the chain. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, that's the kind of shit that, so, like, I mean, it's it makes me uncomfortable, but, like, that, that's a compliment with these movies, I suppose. Yeah, so it makes you uncomfortable, makes you cringe, and you hear the sound. But what that also is doing, I know I can see your face right now, <laughs> making you uncomfortable. But what it also is doing is making you sit there in the theater and be like, damn, Lawrence didn't have to cut his foot off. He could have just dislocated his ankle. Oh God! Yeah, and he's he's a he's, a he's a doctor. Should have known that, right? Yeah. So so it's making you sit there and be like, man, he could have lived. He didn't have to do that. He panicked. But, I mean, but, you watch that scene. Lawrence is freaking out. The phone is ringing, and yeah, and his, his face and his and his family's already gotten to safety, and he doesn't know it. And his family's yeah, and he doesn't know it yet. And he freaks out, and he's like, I got to do this as fast as possible. I'm cutting my foot off. Well. You know, in the moment, as a viewer, you're kind of thinking, oh, man, what was he supposed to do? Two movies later, they show someone in the same scenario that dislocates their foot to get out of the trap. That is the effectiveness, I think, often of the series is how you care and the recall. And, um, you know, this this one has a chance to be, you know, what uh, the J.J. Abrams Star Wars series was, but for Saw. This is a chance to take what you know the previous movies did and, and retell it in a sense and improve upon it, and they could do that with Spiral two and three. We'll, well, we'll see if that happens. Right. That was the last question I was going to ask you. Is like, and did did you come out of this with any kind of vision for what you thought a Spiral two should look like? Should it should it involve like you know should they stick with Chris Rock and uh, Max Minghella and have them play like a cat and mouse game for another movie, or do you want to do you want a whole new set of characters that kind of like. Uh, that m- might just kind of tie into some of the events of this movie. Uh, ha- ha- did, did, were there any ideas churning through your mind, or are you just kind of hoping that they uh, just make another good movie? Well, based on what I've been saying about Amanda, I do think that one of the best elements is bringing back the characters from the previous movies to continue their their overarching plot and what they're going through. I think that that is absolutely huge, Um and, and necessary for these movies if they want to do a three movie arc or even a you know a sequel with chris rock and, and max mangala where uh we, we we get to see you know their characters evolve and, and like i said the chemistry between them increase i mean i'm all for that as well because that would make me appreciate the first movie more i think a little bit more too so i'm for all that i think that either way you have to make it believable and the best thing that this one in terms of believability had going for her is that he gets away i guess spoilers here <laughs> and chris rock you know is left continuing to chase him so i think you have to continue that that strand maybe chris rock retires and a few years later max strikes again and he comes out of retirement and goes after him based on what he saw because then you care about him coming out of retirement um i don't don't know what they do um i think that you have to 
find something that make make people care about it in the first few minutes. And this one with the partner, that callback, you know, that I think that was a good element, making you care more about the victim in retrospect. And this one is going to need to, I think, build on the lore. Um, the next one needs to build on the lore of this one and find some ways to, to call back to the first one. But um, I, I think that, that they can improve upon the formula for sure with what they built. Yeah, I, I, sorry, one last question because I realized I didn't even ask you about it. Did you have thoughts like, I mean, I, this kind of ties into what I just asked you, but as far as how th- that final scene, you know, I uh, Samuel L. Jackson is, uh, has been kidnapped. You kind of talked about red herrings at the very beginning when I was asking about what you're looking for in this, and I thought that was a really good um, stretch of the movie where they made you think it might be Samuel L. Jackson because it was clear it had to be someone that had, you know, access to the someone that had access to the uh to to the police station and you could see why he might have an axe to grind at the police because we see some flashbacks where he sees even though even though we come to learn that he didn't really stand for anything all that good as a police officer as much as everyone else worshipped him he he also did at times get upset by how Zeke was treated after he ratted out the bad cop he's like well that's really probably not good for your career that you did that son you did the right thing and I'm gonna like kind of get pissed off if someone doesn't like back you up when you call for backup or whatever so he, he clearly sees how and he almost got his son killed so and we, we don't ever get a clear answer 100% as to like what caused him to leave the force but you can maybe use your imagination and think maybe he was kind of wrong by them at some point and his son obviously was so he has a lot of reason to uh, a, a lot of reason to possibly have an axe to grind with a lot of the bad cops, and then you see that the the uh, current chief, who we learn was kind of helped him get away with all of his shady dealings, uh, she she gets a text from his phone. So it's like between between that and just everything else we know about him, it kind of makes sense that it, it, it could be him. And then we see that it's not. He's been kidnapped. He's tied up. He's somehow slowly having blood drained from him. And then Zeke is put in the position of where he has to like you know either kill the either kill the uh, Shank Max Mangella or save his dad because he's given one bullet and uh, and Shank can get away. And my thinking at that point was like, you know, I don't. I was not really. I was not in that much suspense. Even, I mean, I guess the act that this is the part of the movie where I agreed with you, where I thought the acting was done well, and I thought that Chris Rock was good in that scene. But it's like it did not seem like that hard of a call for me. It's like he might want to kill uh, Shank, but at the same time, like he could save his dad, and that like that seems like such an obvious choice there. Even if he might have some issues with his dad, it seems like such an easier choice if he has like a, even a decent relationship with him instead of, as opposed to just using the bullet on the guy that killed the dirty cops that already hated him anyway, you know? So I, I don't know if that dilemma really, like, really uh, did much for me, you know? Yeah, I did think that it was anticlimactic mm-hmm. there at the end. I, you know, mostly when you're watching the end of these movies, as the time is counting down or as they walk into the final room, you are the suspense, the drawing, and I really kind of thought that, the, the, you know, the reveal, I guess you could say, was pretty anticlimactic in a sense here. I mean, with Samuel Jackson, he's at a stage in his career where I I want to I want to be fooled. I want to believe that he's going to psych me out. He's going to be the villain <laughs> or they're going to kill him off. I want to believe it. I mean, when I saw Kong Skull Island, they, might, they kind of made him a bad character. Uh, but it's it's just happened so much. It happens so much less now that I I believed really from the jump that he was a good guy. Oh, okay. As much as they believed that he was, you know, the red herrings that he could have maybe done that, I'd ruled that out in my mind right away. And when I saw him up there, and 
you know, you have the whole one bullet situation. There's no doubt in my mind about what he's going to do. I know he's going to shoot the target and save his dad and Max is going to get away. And it just seemed kind of obvious to me that he was going to, you know, get through the elevator and get away. And it really was like they were setting up a sequel from the jump there going into the ending. And that's such a hard balance for me to have a, a sequel set up that makes sense but one that's not too overly obvious in its ending. I really don't like when I'm watching an ending and it's so obvious that you you, you sit there for 100 minutes and at the very end it's like, well, they got away. We'll end this in a couple years if the movie gets made. I, I really just, sometimes that really bothers me. You have to do it well. And I, I, I just, I didn't think that I cared enough about it their relationship to really care about waiting two years to find out what happened <laughs> yeah no i mean I, I agree i wasn't in great suspense though because i mean we already got kidnapped but because like because he's like uh marcus is like samuel's character is like gone for like so much of the movie once shit starts hit, hitting the fan with the killer that was enough to like alone almost to make my antenna go up uh so i was maybe i would say i was a little more in suspense as to like the true nature of his character than you were but i kind of agree on like that last sequence just like really not doing it for what you expect from a Saw movie, especially when you're coming off of just watching the first one for the first time like I did with how many crazy things they pull out at the end of that movie. Um, again, like, you know, it doesn't have to hit the heights of that movie or even Saw 2 from what I understand because you say that's really good, but it, it just seems like you could have just like done its own self-contained thing and everyone's going to understand that you're going to do a sequel as long as the movie's good. But uh yeah. Any any other fi- yeah any other final thoughts, Graham? Before we sign off on the movie that you wanted to convey or say before we sign off, I thought it was much more Hollywood friendly, and there has to be an argument for that because I know that going forward, movies are going to have to be as Hollywood friendly as possible as the theater resurgence continues. So, I thought that this was a good movie to lead off one of one of the lead off movies of the return to theaters. I, I thought that, you know, for every criticism and complaint nitpick that I've had about it, I think that it's a movie that, you know, you can see in theaters and despite the, the gore, I mean, it's a, it's not a bad movie to see in theaters. It, it's a good one along with, you know, as I told you, Godzilla versus King Kong, which I saw as my first theater movie. Um, so I'll give it some points for that. I, I thought that it was better in theaters than it would have been at home. I can understand why they would have waited to release it and why they have avoided releasing it because those movies in my mind, it's kind of like, it's like Lion King. It's like Avengers. It's like everything else where it's a better in the experience in in the theater experience when the dread and, and the music is booming and there's 60 seconds on the clock before someone's life ends. Um, it, it's a, good theater movie so i enjoyed that, the experience for everything that i've said you know about it uh thematically and plot wise I, I enjoyed it absolutely yeah i i agree on that i, I saw it in the theater with i mean not that full of a theater obviously i mean i think most of them are probably still not at over 50 percent. but even seeing it with like you know 15 other people or something I, I i you could hear people's reactions here and there and it was it was a lot more fun i think it helps with movies like this uh and 
I just highly recommend if you're if if it's safe for you to do so to at least try and do that. I'm sure if you watch it in a dark home living room though, you'd uh, you'd still you'd still get something out of it. So I think we both definitely recommend uh, uh, Spiral from the Book of Saw. So uh, Graham, thank you for joining me. Do you have anything you'd like to plug before we leave? Uh, whether it be something else you've been watching lately or any just personal social media stuff, anything you want to throw out there before we before we wrap up? Dude, I don't know if I ever recapped my favorite movie of last year with you, so I'll just go ahead and say it. Yeah. My favorite movie of last year was Sound of Metal mm. by far. Uh, I didn't see any movie that came close to it in my mind. I saw And I saw everything um, except Mank. I did not see Mank. But I saw everything that was nominated for the major Academy Awards, and the only thing that sits with me today still is Sound of Metal. So, And you can follow me on Twitter at Graham Hall underscore. Yeah, you know the uh, it's funny. You know, I did the I did the top ten podcast with a lot of the with a lot of last year's guests, and we uh, I, where, which you joined for on a couple years ago, and uh, Sound of Metal was uh, it was like right up there as far as uh, like as far as just what popped up on everyone's list when you kind of when I kind of combined everyone's rankings it was right there tied for second with Promising Young Woman so a lot of people really liked that it was like I mean it was in my like top 15 or so of last year uh, and I, but I, I, I really liked it as well it caught me off guard and I'm it's still really easy to watch so if anyone happens to be listening to this that did not already watch Sound of Metal it's right there on Amazon Prime highly recommend it very well deserved Oscar nomination for uh, for Riz Ahmed and, uh, you know, I, th- the only thing I would plug myself is I, I again, I'm, I'm kind of out of movies to plug that I haven't already talked about on the podcast at the moment. I just haven't watched a lot of new stuff, but I, uh, I, I started on, speaking of Amazon prime, I started the animated series invincible. I don't know if you've checked that out yet, Graham, okay. but the no, superhero, superhero animated show that's also kind of funny enough produced by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, who did The Boys, but, you know, this is kind of its own gory uh, gory animated superhero show about a, uh, a young high school kid played, uh, voiced by Stephen Yen, whose dad is a superhero in a world where there's all different teams of superheroes, and, and he, he finally gets his powers. He's been waiting to get them because his dad's a superhero, and uh, he gets them, and he has to kind of learn how to deal with that and uh, kind of fit into the superhero world while being a high school kid, but I'm only two, I'm only like two or three episodes in and um, I I'm really enjoying it. And it's, it's just, uh, just a kind of fun, different superhero. It's just scratch. It's something that's fun. that can scratch that superhero itch for you until the Marvel movies come back. Uh, highly recommend that it has a lot of other voice voice actors or not even voice actors but just a lot of actors providing voices for the show uh, that you would probably recognize so uh, Invincible on Amazon Prime uh, Graham thanks so much for joining uh, hopefully see you here at some point over the summer to talk about a big summer movie at some point uh, it, it was a pleasure as always thanks man always my pleasure uh, gotta have to do it again soon now that theaters are up and rolling and finally getting a chance to catch up on everything yeah graham unfortunately lives in a town that's 100 percent regal dominated so uh they, they, they took a conservative mm, approach which yep. is totally respectable last year just made it harder for uh some to return to theaters until recently if you're in a town like gainesville that just had a bunch of regals so glad that graham is going to be back in the saddle watching movies uh and hope all of you are too as well and doing so safely so thanks to everyone for listening and we'll see you next time